Chapter 26 Saturday morning, Riva woke up early and quickly slipped into a pair of gray wool slacks and a cream-colored cashmere pullover. She hurried downstairs, brushing her hair as she walked, eager that her father didn't leave without her. In the breakfast room, her dad raised his eyes from his cup of coffee, surprised. You're up early for a Saturday, he said, studying her. If you're not careful, you'll get to work on time this morning. Riva didn't smile at his little joke. I didn't want to miss you, she said seriously. I have an idea about the murder. The smile quickly faded from his face. He put down his coffee mug. What's your idea? I'll have to show you when we get to the store, Riva said. I'm not sure, but I may have a clue. It came to me in the middle of the night. Riva had done a lot of thinking during the night, about the robbery, about Mitch, about Hank, and about herself. She wasn't happy about herself, she realized, about how hard, how cold she had become. But Mitch's murder and the feelings it had started in her had hinted that it wasn't too late. There was still some of the old Riva hiding behind the hard shell she had built around herself. She spooned down a bowl of cornflakes, grabbed her coat, and hurried out to the garage, where her father was already warming up the car. A red morning sun was climbing the sky. The air was still and cold. The lawn sparkled under a layer of frozen dew. They drove to work in silence, listening to the all-news station on the radio. What's your theory? Mr. Dalby asked, after he had parked the car in his reserve space and they were walking across the lot to the back entrance of the store. I have to show you, Reva said. I don't mean to be so mysterious, Daddy. I just have to make sure myself first. They went up to the sixth floor and put their coats in his office closet. Then Reva led him out to the bank of security monitors across from the office. Hank had just arrived, his eyes only half open, his blue store uniform crisp and unwrinkled. He was starting up the system, checking the monitors and VCRs, and seemed surprised to see Riva and her father come into his area. "'Morning,' he said, staring at her questioningly. "'Hank, do you have the security tapes from yesterday?' Riva asked. "'Yeah, sure,' he said. "'I was just rewinding them all. The police looked at them, but they don't show anything.' "'Riva, what's this all about?' Mr. Dalby asked impatiently, straightening his striped tie. Hank, do you have a camera on the Santaland area? Do you have a tape of that area from yesterday afternoon? Riva asked, squeezing her father's hand as a signal for him to be patient. Yeah, sure, Hank replied mystified. You want to see it? Riva nodded seriously, turning her eyes to the monitors. Why do we have to look at Santa Claus? Mr. Dalby demanded. I'm not sure, Riva said, her eyes on the screens. I just have this idea. A few seconds later, one of the monitors began showing the Santaland area. Riva moved closer to study the screen. There was the store Santa, with a little girl on his lap. He was ho-ho-hoing away. The girl was shy, reluctant to talk. After a while, he lifted her off his lap and signaled to the elf to bring in the next child. Stop it right there, Reva instructed Hank. The picture froze. Reva studied the Santa's face. I'm right, she told her father. I knew it, I'm right. He waited for her to explain. It isn't Rob, she said. It's someone else. Huh? Hank exclaimed. Mr. Dalby just stared at her, completely bewildered. That's not my friend Rob, even though he was supposed to be there. It's someone else. Someone Rob must have asked to cover for him. I don't understand, her father said nervously, fiddling with his tie. Why would your friend do that? I don't know, Revis said. Maybe so he'd be free to kill Mitch. I, I really don't think Rob could do it. But it does seem a little suspicious, doesn't it? Her father nodded. I guess, he said thoughtfully, staring at the frozen image on the screen. Michael actually gave me the idea, she told him excitedly. Michael. After Michael sat on Santa's lap, he told me that Santa was a fake. He said Santa was wearing a pillow under his coat, Riva told him. Well, I didn't think about it until the middle of the night. Then I remembered that Rob doesn't wear a pillow. He's a real chub. He doesn't need a pillow. 
So I realized that the Santa Michael talked to must have been someone else. But that doesn't prove that Rob is a killer, Mr. Dalby said. Of course not, Reva replied. But there's something else. Rob and Mitch had a serious fight that morning, a fist fight in the stock room. I saw them. I tried to break it up. They were really going at it, trying to kill each other. Rob and Mitch, Hank asked surprised. What were they fighting about? I don't know, Reva replied. Afterward, Mitch wouldn't tell me, but it was a really bad fight. Rob was really trying to take Mitch's head off. And then a few hours later, Mitch was dead, Mr. Dalby said, thinking out loud. It was so weird, Reva said. Rob is the quietest, most mild-mannered guy I know. He's always so sweet. I couldn't believe he was fighting like that. He was so angry at Mitch. Angry enough to sneak off and kill him? Hank asked. Reva shrugged. Her father stared hard at the picture on the monitor screen. I'm calling the police, he said. Since it was the last Saturday before Christmas, the store was jammed with shoppers from the time the doors opened. And even though it was early, there was already a line of twenty or thirty children waiting impatiently for their big moment on Santa's lap. Reva stood off to one side, her emotions swirling as she watched Rob deal with the kids. Maybe I'm wrong, she thought. Rob always seemed like such a teddy bear, sort of sad sometimes, but always nice. Is it really possible that he's a cold-blooded killer? Maybe I'm wrong. It just doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem real. And it didn't seem real to Riva a few minutes later when four police officers descended on Santa's candy-striped throne. Rob had a little girl, dressed in bright orange sweatpants and matching sweatshirt, on his lap as the four grim-faced officers surrounded him. The little girl was angry. It's my turn, she shouted. One of the police officers gently lifted the protesting girl off Rob's lap. What's going on? Rob asked, very worried. Santa's being arrested, an alarmed child called from the front of the line. Look, they're arresting Santa Claus. What did Santa do? Oh no, oh no! Stop them! They can't arrest Santa Claus! The cries of astonished and alarmed children mixed with the hushed voices of their confused parents. Two officers grabbed Rob by the arms and helped him up from the chair. One of them reached up and pulled off his beard. Several children, still in line staring at the bizarre scene, gasped. A little boy burst into loud sobs. Are you Rob Spring? One of the men demanded. Yes, but I didn't do anything! Reva heard Rob exclaim over the cries of the distressed children and their parents. We'd like you to come with us, to answer some questions. The cop pulled Rob away from the garish decorated throne. The other three stiffened, prepared themselves in case he resisted. But I didn't do anything, Rob repeated fearfully. Are you going to come quietly with us? The officer asked in a low, determined voice. This is so awful, Reva thought, glancing at her father, who was watching from the line of children. He just shook his head. Just then, Reva felt herself being shoved aside as someone struggled past her. Regaining her balance, Reva was astonished to see her cousin Pam frantically rushing up to Rob. Foxy, Pam cried. What's happening? Why are they arresting you? Does Pam know Rob? Reva asked herself surprised. Why is she calling him Foxy? Excuse us, miss. One of the officers tried to move Pam out of the way. Foxy, what's happening? Pam demanded, dodging the policeman and grabbing the arm of Rob's Santa costume. Foxy? Reva thought. That must be Pam's nickname for Rob. I only wanted to help you, Pam, Rob cried emotionally. What? Pam's face paled. What did you do, Foxy? What did you do? I only wanted to help you. I only wanted to get even, Rob yelled, glaring past Pam to Reva. What's he talking about, Reva wondered, suddenly chilled by Rob's wild, angry stare. Is Rob confessing? Is he confessing that he killed Mitch? I only did it for you, Rob told Pam. Foxy, I, I don't understand, Pam said weakly, and covered her face with her hands. Mr. Dalby stepped forward and put his arm protectively around his niece. The four officers led Rob away. 
All he wanted to show Reva, he screamed, turning his head back toward Pam, his red Santa cap falling to the floor. Then he and his dark-uniformed escorts disappeared down the short flight of stairs. Parents began pulling their troubled children away from Santa Land. The area resounded with children's cries, angry adult voices, confused, nervous chatter. Reva stood near the wall, oblivious of the noise and confusion, thinking hard, trying to figure out what Robin meant. He had screamed that he did what he did for Pam, that he only wanted to show Reva. Show Reva what? What could killing Mitch possibly show Reva? Am I the cause of Mitch's death? Reva wondered. How can that be? She looked across the now empty aisle to where Pam was standing, staring at her, studying her, accusing her. Chapter 27 Reva surprised herself by going back to the makeup counter and staying the rest of the day at work. She involved herself in the customers, listening to their demands, working hard, forcing herself not to think about anything that had happened. Whenever there was a brief lull, the frightening pictures would flash back in her mind. Pam's accusing stare, Rob's wild, terrified shouts, Mitch folded and bloody in the carton. At least the murderer has been caught, Reva thought, consoling herself. At least Rob was found out before he could kill again. The day went by surprisingly fast. The store closed at seven. Reva's father had had to go to a meeting earlier in the afternoon, so she'd have to go home on the bus. She stepped out through the employees' entrance into a clear, cold night. A half-moon was high in a purple-black sky. She had started around to the bus stop at the front of the building, her shoes thudding on the narrow walkway, when she saw a figure half-hidden in the shadows leaning against the building. Waiting. Waiting for me? Reva wondered. Sudden fear made her stop. The figure stepped quickly away from the building and approached Reva. Reva took a step back, then froze. Pam! Her cousin, wearing only a raincoat, her hands buried in the pockets, came hurrying up to her. Pam, why are you still here? Reva asked, relieved. Happy holidays, Pam said sadly. Her blonde hair, normally tied back neatly, fell loosely about her shoulders. Her eyes, Reva saw, were bloodshot. It was obvious that she'd been crying. I, I've waited for you, Reva. I thought maybe you and I could talk. She stared at Reva expectantly, all the coolness, all the accusation gone from her eyes. Sure, Reva replied, studying Pam's troubled face. It's been so long since we've really talked, Pam said quietly. I mean, talked honestly. Reva sighed. Since Mom died, she whispered. Despite the cold night air, Reva was flooded with warm feelings, feelings for Pam, feelings that took her by surprise. She took Pam's arm and began walking her toward the front of the store. Listen, Reva, Pam said urgently. Foxy, I mean, Rob, he couldn't have done it. Huh? He couldn't have killed Mitch, Reva. No way, Pam said with real emotion. I know him too well. I was shocked, Reva admitted. I didn't think Rob could do it either, but he must have, Pam. No, Pam cried. She pulled her arm out of Reva's grip and stopped walking. I'm telling you, Reva, it wasn't Rob. I know it. But he was talking so crazy, Reva insisted. He practically confessed this morning when they took him away. You don't understand, Pam started. And I saw him fighting with Mitch yesterday morning, Reva interrupted. I saw him, Pam. He wanted to kill Mitch. Really? And then later that afternoon, he asked someone else to be Santa for him, so he could go sneak away. I can explain everything, Pam declared. There's my dad's car over there. She pointed to the hulking Grand Prix at the curb. Please, Reva, let's sit down. Get out of the cold. Let me explain. Give me a chance. Of course, Reva said. She followed Pam to the big old car and climbed into the passenger seat. It smelled old, sour. I know why Foxy was fighting with Mitch, Pam said, sliding behind the wheel, starting to talk before she'd even slammed the door. It was my fault. Your fault? 
Foxy knew that Mitch was blackmailing me, Pam revealed. That's why he was fighting with Mitch. Reva's mouth formed an O of surprise. Huh? Mitch? Blackmailing you? Come on, Pam. Why? Pam hesitated. She rested her forehead on the wheel for a few seconds before sitting up again. It's too long a story, Reva. I'm sure it'll all come out. But later, right now, I want to talk about Foxy. I mean, Rob. Reva eyed Pam suspiciously. What is it she doesn't want to tell me, she wondered. Why would Mitch be blackmailing her? So why did Rob ask someone to take his place as Santa, she asked. It's all very innocent, really, Pam said, sighing. He got a friend of his to stand in for him for an hour so he could go see me. You? Rob and I have been going together for nearly six months. He knew I was very upset about things, so he sneaked off to see me, just to be with me. Reva knew Pam was telling the truth, but there were still things to be explained. What was he saying when the police took him away, Pam? Reva asked. What did he mean that he was only trying to show me? Foxy told me that he had been doing mean things to frighten you, playing cruel jokes. He said he put a needle in your lipstick, and he sent you things. A cologne bottle, a mannequin in a box. I told him it was silly, but he was just so angry at the way you treated me, and how awful you were to me, and how you tricked him into being Santa Claus, how you humiliated him in front of everyone. Reva avoided Pam's eyes. But that's all he did, Pam continued. You've got to believe me. He didn't kill Mitch. I know he didn't. I know he couldn't. Reva saw that Pam had tears in her eyes, and to Reva's surprise, she did too. You had a right to be angry at me, she told her cousin, her voice a whisper. Rob did too, I guess. I guess a lot of people do. Then with sincere feeling, Reva reached over to Pam, threw both arms around her shoulders, and wrapped her tightly in a long hug. I'm really sorry, Pam. Really, I'm so sorry, she said. Can I drive you home? Pam asked, tears rolling down her cheeks. I want to call to find out what happened to Foxy. Yeah, thanks, Reva said. Maybe you could stay for dinner and we could talk, you know, catch up. Maybe, Pam said, searching for her car keys. They were two or three blocks away when Reva realized she didn't have her bag. I must have left it up in Daddy's office, she told Pam apologetically. Can we go back and get it? Pam made a U-turn at the next light. When they reached the store, Reva directed her around the back to the employee's entrance. Wait right here, she told Pam. I'll be down in two seconds. Reva stepped into the narrow corridor, surprised to see that the night guard wasn't at his table. Daddy wouldn't be pleased about that, she thought. She walked quickly through the dark, empty back hallway and stepped out into the main floor, her eyes searching the darkened store. Except for some pale ceiling lamps against the far wall, the only light came from the twinkling tree lights on the tall Christmas tree under the balconies. Chill out, just chill out, she warned herself, feeling her old fear begin to return. Just a suggestion of the terror she always felt, a heaviness in the pit of her stomach. But she knew it would soon spread. The fear would soon spread until it had her in its grip. Stupid phobia. Chill out, Reva. There's nothing to be afraid of. What was that music? Reva stopped to listen. Someone had left the music system on. Silent night echoed eerily through the empty store. The Christmas tree lights still on, the music still playing. No guard at the back door. Someone had been careless, Reva decided. It's a good thing Daddy's not here. He'd make someone pay for these slip-ups. The fear tried to push her back, keep her frozen in the center of the aisle. But with the soft Christmas music in her ears, she forced herself forward. She held her breath until she reached the employee's elevator, then slipped inside and rode up to the sixth floor. She stepped out into the executive waiting room, feeling relieved, feeling proud of herself for not allowing the fear to overwhelm her. Moving quickly over the plush carpet, she hurried toward her father's office in the corner. To her surprise, the security monitors were still on, their screens buzzing, filled now with nothing but gray. 
What's going on around here, she wondered. And then she saw that someone was standing at the monitors. Hank, she called moving toward him. Hank, what are you doing here? So, it wasn't Hank. The man who stepped out from behind the bank of monitors was wearing a blue security guard's uniform. The buzzing gray screens washed him in gray, so that he seemed unreal, a strange video creation. Staring into the gray glare, it took Reva a long while to recognize him. Mr. Wakely, she cried, and then in her surprise, she blurted out, You don't work here anymore. I still have some work to do, he said. Then Reva saw the pistol in his hand. Chapter 28 The chorus singing Silent Night over the loudspeakers seemed to get louder. Reva's mouth dropped open as her eyes traveled from the pistol up to Mr. Wakely's face, gray in the light from the monitor screens. He took a step toward her, then another. His natural color returned. His eyes were red and glassy, Reva noted. She could see red veins on the bridge of his bulbous nose. Maywood promised me there'd be no problem, he said, his eyes floating from side to side in their sockets. He's drunk, Reva realized, returning her opened-eyed stare to the pistol gripped tightly in his hand. Drunk and dangerous. Maywood promised me, he repeated. Maybe he wanted to explain his presence to Reva. Take it easy, Mr. Weakley, she said, holding up her hands. Just stay calm, okay? I'm sure everything will be all right. Her heart was pounding so loudly she could barely hear her own words. No, he shook his head. It didn't go all right. We messed up. We completely messed up. He was slurring his words so badly, Reva had trouble understanding him. What do you mean? she asked, still gripped with fear. The robbery. Maywood. He was the one who planned it. He said there wouldn't be any trouble. He took a step back and put a hand out against the side of a monitor and leaned against it. You mean the robbery here at the store? Reva asked. He nodded, his bald head shining in the gray light. Maywood said that three kids were planning to rob the store. He said the three kids would be a distraction, you know, keep the other guard busy. Me and Maywood would empty the downstairs safe, see, and the three kids wouldn't even know it. He paused as if trying to remember what happened next. Then he continued, training his red eyes on Reva. We got the money okay. It was a good plan, see? It would have worked fine. Only, I stepped out from the back office, and I saw that one of the kids was mine. He shook his head sadly. It was Mickey, my own boy. I had no idea. His eyes burned into hers, pleading, desperate. Maywood never said that Mickey was one of them. I didn't know that Mickey was there. He didn't know that I was there. And then, he trailed off, rubbing his chin with his free hand. And then what? Reva asked, checking for the safest escape route. Then, I saw the guard, Ed Japers. He picked up his gun. He was going to shoot my Mickey. What could I do? I'm a father, right? I couldn't stand there and let him shoot my son, my only son. So I, I just panicked. I shot Ed. I didn't mean to kill him, but I couldn't let him shoot Mickey. He stopped again, lost in thought, leaning hard against the monitor. On a loudspeaker, the chorus continued its soft, reverent version of Silent Night. Did you kill Mitch, too? Reva asked. The question just popped out of her. Mr. Wickley nodded. Had to, he said, trying to focus his eyes. I knew what he was doing. I overheard, see? He was blackmailing my kid. That kid Mitch was out back the night of the robbery. He'd gone back to the store for something. He left there. He saw Mickey and the other two come running out. And he started blackmailing my boy, going to turn him in. I couldn't allow it, could I? I couldn't allow Mickey to get into trouble for something I did. But why did you send Mitch's body to me? Reva asked, staring at the pistol, still down at his side. Huh? He squinted at her, as if that would help him understand the question. Send it to you? I didn't. 
I found a big carton with a bow on it, first big carton I could find. So I put the body in it and left it behind a counter, he told her. The carton that had the mannequin in it, Reba realized. It still had her name on it, and it had gotten delivered to her all over again. Mr. Wickley squinted at her. And now, here I am. I came back to finish my work here, see? I just want to get paid from the safe in your daddy's office. He gestured toward the office with the pistol. Too bad, he said, standing up straight. His eyes seemed to be focusing now, clear and cold. He raised the pistol. You've given me no choice. No, Reva screamed and whirled around to run. Her legs felt as if they weighed a thousand pounds, but she forced herself forward, bending low as she ran, her entire body tensed in anticipation of the gunshots. He was coming after her, the pistol poised. She could hear his heavy breathing, hear the heavy pad of his shoes on the thick carpet. What can I do? Where can I go? She wondered, the empty offices flying by in a blur. If I could just get into the elevator? No. Too risky. Too slow. Then where? If she could double back to her father's office, she could lock the door, lock herself in, call out for help. Yes. How could she get past him to get back there? No time to think about it. No time to make a plan. She just had to do it. She reached the waiting room, circled the couch, took a deep breath, and ran right at him. His mouth dropped open in surprise. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. She dodged past him, running hard, running at full speed. It took her a while to realize that the object that rang past her was a bullet. Oh! She uttered a terrified cry. Another explosion behind her, this one louder, this one scarier since she knew what it was. Another bullet rang past, lodging in the wall ahead of her. Reva froze. Her father's office was still halfway down the hall. I cannot run a bullet, she thought. And then her thoughts seemed to melt into bright colors, unconnected words, a loud, insistent ringing in her ears as her panic drove out everything else. She backed up toward the low balcony overlooking the store. Her back hit the railing. She didn't really know where she was. She didn't really know why she had stopped, why she was standing there, what she was doing. A grim smile on his face, the smoking pistol held high, Wakely dived at her. Chapter 29 He's got me, Reva thought, her back pressed against the low chrome balcony railing. She glanced down, down to the main floor five stories below, and felt overcome by dizziness. He left, arms outstretched, to tackle her. She shut her eyes and ducked. Wakely sailed past her and plunged over the balcony. She could hear him scream all the way down. Then she heard a clatter of glass, a cracking sound, a low cry, a hard thud, and then a deafening final scream, followed by an electrical zap-zap-zap and a roar that seemed to shake the walls. Reva peered down to the first floor. She cried out, raising her hands to her face, when she saw Wakely down there, his eyes frozen open in a wide stare of horror his body being jolted in the midst of a blinding red and yellow electric current. It's the Christmas tree, Reva realized, still covering her face, turning away from the horrifying sight. Wakely had landed on a tree, and it shorted out. Reva felt sick. She heard a last few pop-pop-pops, like automatic gunshots, and then the current fizzled out. Oh, she moaned softly. And suddenly, someone was holding her. Strong arms were around her, supporting her, comforting her. Hank! I was downstairs, fixing a video cam, he said softly, holding her tighter. I saw everything. On the monitor in the basement. It's all on tape. Wakely's confession. Everything. She raised her head from his chest and met his eyes, still dazed. Huh? How? I told you. I was an electronics genius, he said. I tried to get up here to help you. Sorry I couldn't get here sooner. At least you're here now, Reva said weakly, and then she collapsed into his arms. Chapter 30 
Revis sat between Hank and Rob on the long wooden bench. They huddled together, hunched in their coats, collars up, squinting against the bright glare of the lights above them. Footsteps echoed on the marble floors, and from time to time a door would open and a uniformed police officer would hurry past. Reva and the two boys had been sitting outside the Shadyside police hearing room for nearly an hour, staring at the tile walls, not talking much, nervously waiting for Pam to come out. What's it like in there? Hank asked Rob, gesturing to the tall double doors that led inside. It's not bad, Rob said shivering. It's warmer than out here. The North Pole is warmer than out here, Reva cracked, holding on to the arm of Hank's overcoat. There are a bunch of little rooms back there, Rob said, with chairs and desks and stuff, that's all. And one-way mirrors, right? Hank asked, so they can spy on you. Rob chuckled. I don't think so. I didn't see any mirrors at all. How long were you in there? Reva asked, glancing expectantly at the door, then checking her wristwatch. About an hour, maybe a little more, Rob replied. I was scared, but I knew I hadn't done anything wrong. He blushed except for those mean things I did to you. I deserved it, Reva said softly. Then she laughed. Besides, I'll find a way to pay you back. It's my turn. Rob became concerned. You're joking, right? Reva nodded slyly. Maybe. They sat in silence for a while, staring at the double doors, willing them to open. Reva gripped Hank's hand tightly. What do you think will happen to Pam? Hank shrugged. The doors opened. Pam came walking out, weary and pale, flanked by her somber parents. She brightened a little when she saw Reva and the two boys waiting for her. They jumped to their feet as Pam and her parents approached, their footsteps echoing in the high-ceilinged waiting room. Pam, what happened? Reva asked, hurrying to her. Pam shrugged and glanced back at her mom and dad. There's going to be a hearing, she said. In the meantime, I'm in my parents' custody. Custody? Reva exclaimed. What a horrible word. Pam's going to be okay, her father said brusquely. She's never been in trouble before, her mother added, so they're only going to charge her with trespassing. What about Mickey and Clay? Rob asked. I don't know, Pam said, shaking her head sadly. Mickey's hearing won't be until after his father's funeral. He's staying with his aunt. Clay's hearing is next week. They all walked out the door and down the steps of the police station. A light snow had begun to fall. Tiny wet flakes had tickled Reva's nose and felt good on her cheeks. The sidewalk and ground were already white. She searched for the moon, but it was covered by clouds. Holding Hank's hand, Reva glanced at Pam on her other side. Pam smiled at her, and Reva stopped, turned away from Hank, and gave Pam a long hug. I feel so warm, Reva thought, so light, as if a layer of ice had melted away from me. If I hadn't been so cold, so bottled up, so hateful, maybe none of this would have happened. What a shame that such horrors had to take place before I could feel again, Reva thought. Now she felt sadness and relief that it was all over. I have real feelings now, she realized. Warm feelings. Sad feelings. Silently, she made a New Year's resolution to herself never to lose those feelings again. Then, leaning against Hank, she walked with the others through the silent night into the soft falling snow. This has been a Nightfall Audiobooks production of Silent Night, A Fear Street Super Chiller, Book 2, by R.L. Stein. Hey everyone, it's Chris again with Nightfall Audiobooks. Thanks for listening to Silent Night. This has been a long time in the making. Ever since I started this podcast, Silent Night was the one I really wanted to do the most. I had always had this one in mind to be my Christmas book. This book is 30 chapters long. It took a really long time for me to get to it and to get it done. I started recording it, and I ended up staying home a lot. For some reason, I forget what it was. So I couldn't make it to my primary studio to record. So while I was home, 
I found myself with more free time than I thought I would have. So I've recorded The Snowman, which is the book after this. And I got that completely finished before I got back to Silent Night. So when I got back to my primary studio and I began to record Silent Night again, I found it really hard to get invigorated and get back into it. And then my whole family came down with COVID and I found myself with a large chunk of time that I was home again because we had to be in quarantine. So then I recorded all of the Catalina Chronicles book one. And then once that was done, I was like, well, I'm still home. And I managed to get my files from my primary studio and sit down and go, okay, where did I leave off on Silent Night? I have to finish Silent Night. And I sat down and I did it. I recorded chapters 20 through 30 in my home studio. So anyway, Silent Night. How about Riva Dalby, huh? Boy, is she a pain in the butt. Forcing people to break up. Look at what she did with poor Mitch. Mitch didn't have long to live, and the poor guy was seriously tortured at the end of his life. Reva destroyed his relationship with Lisa, and then Mr. Wiggly ends up killing him? Jeez, what a way to go. This is my favorite super chiller, because it's a robbery, and you see the robbery from the antagonist's point of view. And you don't really know what ground Clay is on all the time. You can feel for Mickey, you can definitely feel for Pam. And you'll understand their motivations. The robbery feels real. This was a really well done book. The characters were really well fleshed out. So that's it. That's 2022. How about that? I started this podcast in November of 2021. And I've been recording pretty much nonstop until right now. And I've got Christmas in the bag. And I've also got the next two books in 2023 in the bag. If you have any comments or suggestions or a book that you want me to read that I haven't read yet or you have a favorite and you're like, stop reading this other crap, read this instead, then great, go ahead. Drop me an email at nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Nightfall Audio, and I'm also on YouTube at Nightfall Audiobooks. Drop me a comment, like, subscribe, whatever you want. If you have any suggestions, give me a shout. I love hearing from you guys. So until next time, have a good night.